my 25 years in the party and voting conferences, you know, we're meeting under a, a particular cloud where there is a threat to a predominant position within the Scottish political firmament. That was Pete Wishart, the SNP MP for Perth and North Perthshire, talking to us mere moments ago as we got ourselves together for a good look at his party's upcoming conference in Aberdeen on this special edition of The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. We will return to that imminently, but first, some introductions. In the, the Glasgow corner, we have political reporter Justin Bowie. How are you, Justin? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good stuff. And in a bit of Lanarkshire that I am thoroughly unfamiliar with, it's Sunday Post Politics Chief Derek Healy. How are you doing? Full of the joys of autumn, I'm sure. I'm also very well, yeah, thank you. Um, nice to come outside, that's always handy. Excellent. And in the centre of the Kingdom of Fife, the Courier's own Alistair Clark, who is um, our man who collared Pete Wishart just earlier. A lot more from him later. How are you getting on there, Alistair? Yeah, great. It is um, lovely and sunny in Fife, so nothing... Nothing to complain about. It's always fun and sunny in Fife. Good. And then right up the North Sea coast, in the centre of action in Aberdeen, which will be, it's the star of the show really this week, it's the Prussian Journal's Adele Merson. Are you raring to go, Adele? Yes, the sun is also shining here. Hopefully that will last. Ready to welcome you all to our fair city. Excellent. And then finally, there's me, Andy Phillip, Head of Politics here at DC Thompson, gazing upon the landscape from a vantage point in the People's Republic of East Lothian. Okay, down to business. The point of this exercise is to look at the big topics, the flashpoints, the debates coming up in Aberdeen, where the SNP are going to gather for three days for their autumn conference. It starts on Sunday the 15th, depending when you're listening to this, and we'll be there in force, crammed into a Dell's car to avoid the hellish taxi journeys back to the city centre. And we'll produce another podcast from the action in the middle of that event too. There's a lot to get through, and that's before we get to the um, the difficult backdrop of wider political developments around about at the moment, from the domestic to the international. It has been a tough week for a lot of people. As we speak, First Minister Hamza Yousaf, who is preparing to speak to activists in the matter of days in Aberdeen, is meanwhile desperately trying to get information about his own wife's parents who are trapped in Gaza, a horrifying situation, and one that we've covered in full and will continue to do on our web pages if you want to read more there. Here, we need to talk about the SNP as the governing party of Scotland. Adele, you'll be there in Aberdeen first. You might have laid out your notebooks and pens in the conference room already. I don't know. What are you looking ahead to mostly? I think the main thing will be that will be interesting will really be seeing what the mood in the party is. As you've suggested there, it's been an extremely tumultuous year and we've just come off the back of the SNP's by-election defeat in Rutherglen and Hamilton West and I think like with all kind of anniversaries it's been a year since last year's um, autumn SNP conference was also in Aberdeen so I think it, it causes you to sort of reflect a little bit and it's staggering really to think how much has changed since the the last conference when Nicola Sturgeon last took to the stage in Aberdeen I was sort of looking back and there had been speculation uh, that summer about her contemplating standing down. But, you know, she stood on the stage and, and said she intended to be FM for quite some time yet. And then here we are with a new leader in place who, as you said, has got a whole tray full of difficulties to deal with and lots of splits sort of forming within the party. Um, I spoke with Inverness and Nairn MSP Fergus Ewing just this week. He is he is not going to the conference. He says that's because he's got, you know, a number of 
constituency engagements that will be useful for him but obviously there's been he's one of the people that you know one of the splits that's forming in the party he's being very critical of their the SNP's relationship with the Green Party and I think that's another aspect that will really be under the spotlight I guess at this month's conference. Yeah and on Sunday the debate will be firmly focused on the the, the big one the independence referendum and the the route out of the particular cul-de-sac that the SNP seems to be stuck in at the moment delegates there will be voting on whether whether and how to get to an independence referendum of course a week from now we're supposed to be having an independence referendum according to Nicola Sturgeon's original idea Derek you you you're um watching this from from afar as well what kind of what was it, what kind of flashpoints do you think we might be looking for here that will spark this uh, particular conference into into life? Well, I think um, fundamentally it doesn't feel like a very happy party at the moment, does it? Um, you do have all these divisions, you do have all these arguments going on internally. Um, I think as Adele touches on, we're going to have the independence question, which is going to be a major flashpoint. Um, there is a feeling, I think, among some members that the leadership is far too comfortable and government and not actually pursuing independence itself, um, which is obviously the reason behind the party. Um, and then you do have this argument over the Greens and whether that needs to be looked at again. Um, coming off the back of the by-election, there was an awful lot of talk of that, of whether actually that needs to be really, a big, big rethink needs to be had on that. Um, you know, whether to remove the Greens from government and make it just a sort of parliamentary agreement, supplying confidence kind of situation. Um, and then I think there's the kind of disciplinary issues. There's the way that some people, like Fergus Ewing, for example, um, have been treated, which some people are unhappy about. Um, there's an awful lot of really big names staying away from this mm-hmm. conference, um, which, you know, th- that happens anyway. That does happen from time to time when, when things are moving in different directions. But it's interesting to see so many stay away. One of the, one of the kind of talking points that came out of the by-election was people suggesting that uh, Hamza Yousaf has days to save his leadership and things like that. I don't think that's true. I think that's very overbaked, but it's going to be an extremely important conference, I think, for Hamza Yousaf. And he really needs to change the sort of feeling and tone around the party here. Justin, you're you're coming along to the to the conference as well. What are you hoping to hear um in the background, particularly stuff to do with the, the day-to-day running of the country, rather than independence and um, slightly more kind of esoteric look at things about how things might be what about the things that we need to sort out on the ground i mean this is the party of government so policies they they matter there's been an endless number of policy areas where they've been become bogged down and have frankly been unable to deliver those policies um for voters which you know is, is extremely concerning so i think the SNP will want to see this perhaps as a bit of a reset and a bit of an opportunity to set out that yes they are the party in charge of scotland and they are fundamentally the party that can you know, deliver those policies on the ground because at a certain level, that's how they're going to drive support for independence, I think, in some ways. Well, the oil and gas as well. I mean, last time I remember um, when Nicola Sturgeon was in charge and we were in Aberdeen uh, a year ago, there was a lot to do with energy. There was a growing debate about the future of oil and gas. That's going to be a, a key part of this as well, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one of those topics that have become quite divisive within the SNP. You, you think years back... The rhetoric was often it's Scotland oil from the SNP. It was a key component 
to their arguments for um, independence in 2014. Obviously, the party's now shifted away from that, you know, generally more of a presumption against oil and gas. But there's a bit of uncertainty there, you know, the party have kind of left themselves certain gaps to say, well, we maybe back oil and gas in this circumstance. You know, we need to transition in a way that supports workers. But I think the big concern in this transition from oil and gas to net zero is the sense that the government often speak as if you take away an oil and gas job and it immediately gets replaced with a sort of like-for-like net zero job. That's not really the case, even if those jobs are there and even if Aberdeen can become a sort of focal point for the you know the renewable sector, it's not going to be as simple as winding down oil and gas and replacing it with new jobs. So I think at this conference and indeed in the weeks and months to come, any certainty the SNP can offer those oil and gas workers and indeed you know people who work in the energy sector in general will be welcomed. Obviously, the recent approval of the Rosebank oil field gives the SNP a bit of a headache. The Tories are able to say, well, we are supporting oil and gas workers. We are forging ahead with this. Obviously, the SNP will argue they're going too far, that maximising extraction from the North Sea is not the way to go because of our obligations to fight climate change. But if, if you're an oil and gas worker in the North East and you want your industry to be supported and you're unsure where to put your vote, you know, the granting of Rosebank might at least make you think, well, are, are the SNP looking out for me? So they have a lot to do to convince workers that that transition can be managed in a way that they're going to feel supported. Okay. Yeah. Well, as we've teed up thoroughly already, Alistair Clark has been testing the temperature with a real veteran of the SNP scene. Uh, I think it's fair to say that Pete Wishart has been on a journey in the years from his election through to the 2014 referendum campaign and right the way up till today. And then this weekend where he'll be playing a, another crucial role in the in the wider party debate. As a, a yes campaigner, Pete Wishart seemed to become a bit more moderate after the no vote in 2014. He really threw himself into some important inquiries in Westminster um, gambling, drugs legislation, ticketing scams, all meaty, worthwhile stuff. His approach hasn't pleased everybody, um, the more enthusiastic independent supporters, particularly ones that exited with um, Alex Salmond in that horrible split for the party. This weekend, Pete will take part in a big discussion where members will look at the new independent strategy. Um, Alistair started his interview by asking if the whole game's a bogey. Well, I actually think this is going to be a really important debate. I mean, the party's been considering this for the best part of a year. We've met on several occasions through regional assemblies, and I think most of the branches and constituency associations of the party have been thoroughly debating this, considering it, and given their, their views about the way forward. So I actually think it's going to be a, a very important debate, and it's important for a number of reasons. Like, one, we have to sort of decide exactly where we go forward following the result at Rutherglen and Hamilton West. And, and second, we've, we've got to start to have new type of thinking about how we manage to engage independent supporters to our cause. So there's a number of different amendments that are going to be pr uh, promoted in, in um, response to the, the very good motion, I think, by Stephen Flynn and from Hamza Youssef. So I'm looking forward to this debate, and I think it's going to be an important one. We meet under really unusual circumstances um, for this conference. I think for the first time since I can remember in my 25 years in the party and going to conferences, you know, we're meeting under a, a particular cloud where there is a threat to our predominant position within the Scottish political firmament. So 
everything that we do and say, I think, will be closely scrutinised. But isn't it great we're on to the agenda of independence? And I'm thoroughly looking forward to the conversations and debate around that. Obviously, you know, you're seeking to amend the, the, the motion from the First Minister and, and the group leader at Westminster. Uh, can you just explain what your amendment does and, and why you think it, it needs to change the, the actual motion? Well, it's a really straightforward and very simple amendment. I mean, I actually think the motion is actually a good motion. It says the right type of things, and it says the sort of things that we should be doing and thinking about if we did manage to secure some sort of, you know, like majority, whatever that is, towards independence. I just don't think it's realistic or credible to assert independence or move towards independence negotiations unless we've secured the support of the majority of the people of Scotland. So what my amendment just does is replace one word or maybe three words, majority of seats with majority of the vote. And I just think that that will allow us that credibility and realism to go to the the large and the larger independent support that we have in Scotland, the, an independent support that remains in the region of about 50%, and say to them, if you vote for the SNP, you will be actually voting for independence. And I think they'll get that. I mean, I don't really think that there's many people in our party really believe that we can assert our independence and move towards negotiations to secure it with the UK without a majority of the Scottish people. I certainly don't believe the majority of the Scottish people believe that, but particularly those independent supporters who are staying at home, who are not turning out to support our party, they most definitely don't believe that. So what we've got to do is to make sure that we offer a real credible proposition to independent supporters, and that can only come with this party securing a majority of the votes in order to press our case why Scotland should be an independent country and start those negotiations with the United Kingdom. You know, obviously we're, we're talking today on Wednesday, tomorrow would be Thursday, a week away from when Nicola Sturgeon said there was going to be a referendum. I mean, did you ever think that was going to happen? Did you ever seriously um, believe that there'd be a referendum a week tomorrow? Yes, I did. And I think all of us did. And this, is, this was a culmination of a, a process about our aspirations towards moving towards independence. It started, obviously, with the belief that this should happen through an agreed referendum in process with the United Kingdom. And we tried several means to secure that, even going as far as to winning a majority in the Scottish Parliament in the 2021 election to ensure that we got that. And like um, when it became absolutely apparent and abundantly clear that the UK government had absolutely no intention of recognising um, that mandate from the Scottish Parliament, and they just refused blankly to engage in any sort of discussion about how we resolve Scotland's constitutional future. It was right that we moved on to like, seeing if we could design a, a referendum in the Scottish Parliament, using the Scottish Parliament powers to see if that could be delivered. And, and it was absolutely right that we went to the Supreme Court just to test whether we had the legal powers in order to secure and achieve that. And then, of course, we got the result, which showed that we did. So the next thing to say was, well, what do we do next? And there didn't seem to be any real options with trying to engage the UK, who had said no to us on a number of occasions about a referendum. We didn't have the necessary powers to do that in the Scottish Parliament. So then we used some sort of electoral event in order to ensure that we settled this question. So Nicola proposed that we used the next general election or the debate was to be whether the next Scottish election in order to achieve that. And that was the right thing to do. 
And, you know, like that was what was going going to happen in order to try and secure that. Now, you asked specifically about the referendum in October 19th. It was right that we set a date for this when we had our conversations with the UK. It was right that we said that this is what we're intending to do. We're not doing it not because of anything the SNP did. We're doing it because the, the, the UK government blocked it and just refused to engage in this and we found that we didn't have the sufficient powers in the Scottish Parliament. So, like, it was definitely our intention. I believe that it was going to happen. We're not having it because a combination of factors, A, being the UK government's refusal to engage and secondly, because, like, once we tested this in the Supreme Court, we found that we didn't have the powers in order to, to bring this forward. And, and do you think that the, the, the party membership as a whole and the wider independence movement understands that if this motion passes or your amendment passes, even if the SNP win a majority of seats and a majority of votes, whichever one, that independence isn't going to come immediately after that. Do you think the party membership is, is in a place where it can accept that, where it can accept that independence maybe isn't going to happen um, within six months, 12 months, even two years? Do you think they are willing to uh, you know, accept that this might take some time? I think that, what, what I did... What... SNP and independent supporters want is for our country to, to be an independent nation. And I think what they're looking to us is to do is to design a way in order that we can secure and achieve that. And that's why we're having this debate on Sunday. The debate that I think is going to be like um, thoroughly positive, engaging, and, hope, and hopefully will produce some sort of clear way forward. Um, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not knowing if they're, if they're con particularly concerned whether this is going to be done within six years in one election, two elections, or a number of years. They just want to get there and they want to be assured that we're looking at this and designing a way that this can be achieved. Um, I, I think that there's a view in the party that this is going to take a, a little bit longer than we expected and what we proposed. Obviously, you mentioned the, the, the referendum that was supposed to be ha happening in October this year. But um, I think they're, they're looking just for us to come up with a plan that says how we can do it. Now, what I'm proposing is that we do this round electoral events, that we look at the next general election to see if we can secure a majority of the people of Scotland to support this. Like, um, will the UK government say no if we won that? Almost definitely. They've never been particularly well disposed to respect the Scottish democracy in the past. They will probably say no to that. But what... Our one job in the SNP is to deliver a result which demonstrates and shows a majority of people of Scotland want Scotland to be an independent nation. And that's what we should offer, not just at this election, but at subsequent elections. If we lose at the next election, we don't quite happen to reach a majority of the vote. We just brush ourselves down and we continue to the next one. And we continue and we do it until, A, we either win and we secure a majority result, or B, the UK government eventually get around the table, agree a process with us and engage in settling Scotland's constitutional question. Um, Alba have obviously been calling on the SNP to, to agree with them to join a sort of united for independence uh, agreement or ticket, if you want. Um, is, is, that, is that a proposal you are interested in or is it something that you, that you don't see much value in? Most definitely not. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all for, you know, like when we get to the facto referendum situation, that votes for all in the parties are included in any sort of total that's reached and 
we'll be weighed against votes for unionist parties that would be voting against them. Like, yes, I'm, I'm for parties like the Greens and Alba to be included in, in any total when we settle this. But in a Scotland United ticket, no, definitely not. I couldn't think of anything worse and anything that would be more unappealing to the Scottish people than to get involved with a, a, a party, particularly a, a party that hasn't managed to even secure a community councillor, far less a member of parliament who seemed to be singularly unpopular with the Scottish people. And I think there would be bewilderment that the SNP would come into any sort of working relationship or arrangement with a, a party uh, like ALBA. And, you know, I mean, the whole the very ground we walk upon in the Scottish National Party. So I don't know how we'd get a working arrangement with them in order to try and have a convincing case to take the Scottish people. So definitely not. And uh, like I don't think there's any real sort of desire in the party to to get into this. There might be a few voices that might raise this as, as a sort of tentative support to the proposal, but I don't think there's any real groundswell of support for coming together in some sort of Scotland United ticket. I mean, there's even the, the, the whole electoral arrangements. This, this is proposed that we do this at a general election. There's all sorts of issues about getting registered with the Electoral Commission, about how parties fight elections and how, the, how this would all even work out practically. So no, most definitely not to that. And obviously, you know, we've had a, a few days now since the, the Rutherglen and Hamilton West by-election, um, a, a few days to digest the results. Is there is there anything immediately obvious to you that, that has to be a priority for the party now after what was a, a disappointing result? Yeah, I mean, like, um, I mean, I was in Rutherglen and Hamilton West on several occasions and I got sort of got a sense that this was not going to be our night and you know I'm from Persia we'd be winning elections for 25 years and it was quite surprising when you were going down the doors and finding some of the responses and you know like it was actually quite good getting back out canvassing here in Persia recently you know like and finding a, a much more warm and accommodating response so I sort of knew this was going to be a bad day I was surprised at the sheer scale of the defeat and I don't think we could make any excuses about that. It's, it's like we could point to low turnouts, to the, behave, the reckless behaviour of the former member of parliament, but we were absolutely and utterly gubbed. And the way that the party should respond, and I think that we are, you know, like we, I think we're showing real contrition, real humbleness, and hopefully we're showing that we're an ability, we've got the ability to listen, that we're looking to what people are telling us about this, but there's no way that we could put a gloss on this. And and I don't think we are in the party. I think that we're accepting that we've got a number of things wrong, that people are trying to tell us something about how they want this party to, to go forward. The one thing I will say, and the one thing that ties, I think, a little bit to my amendment to this motion is that it looks like... SNP independent supporters stayed at home. I mean, like the, if you look at the Labour result, for example, it's pretty much the same vote that they got back in 2019, but ours was devastatingly cut by God knows how many, like um, it, how, how, what sort of percent. So what I think is that we've got to reach out and appeal to particularly independent supporters that there's a real reason and incentive to vote for the Scottish National Party. And I think that's by offering them a vote for independence, a vote for the Scottish National Party is a, a vote for their country to become an independent nation. So I think that's where like, the discussion about Rutherglen and Hamilton West ties to what I'm hoping to achieve with um, independent supporters. And of course, I, I accept too that you know, like we have to reset our case, we have to explain our vision for independent Scotland, we've got to demonstrate better governance when it comes to um, Scottish parliamentary activities. But unless we can offer a route for independent supporters to support 
a vision about us becoming an independent nation, I don't think we're going to be able to motivate and get those independent supporters out to vote for the Scottish National Party. Brilliant, Pete Wishart. Thanks for joining us. Alistair, we got a real flavour of the hot topics there. It was a fascinating um, discussion, lots to touch on. What do you what do you make of his assessment and the chances of actually charting a route for the, the SNP, charting a route to independence here? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was interesting to speak to Pete. Obviously, he's been around for for over twenty years now. He's no stranger to the to the SNP. He's no stranger to the campaign for independence. So I think I think his 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 ideas are valuable, and his thoughts are valuable. I think he sort of sets it out as if this is a process. So it started with the referendum, the Supreme Court going against the referendum, and that this is a sort of logical next step, uh, I think was his sort of message. Um, whether that works or not, whether that's something that um, the UK government are going to take seriously, I think we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I think one of the, the things he did say that, that struck me was that this isn't going to be, this might not be, something that happens at the next election. He's, he's, he's already admitting that it might take two elections, three elections, where we're trying to get, uh, or the SNP are trying to get the most votes um, before this really starts to make a difference. Yeah, he mentioned um, he was picking figures out of the air, but I don't think it, was, it wasn't without thought. You know, he was talking about six years. You know, there was a little bit of expectation management running through a lot of what he was saying. I mean, the whole idea of his approach at this conference is to try and move away from the idea that any party could realistically convince the, the wider public that most seats in a, in a first-past-the-post election represents a, a mandate for independence. He's trying to bridge a gap with people who need convincing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's the other word he mentioned was credibility, and I think that's what he's really trying to go for. I think it's interesting when he's, he's talking about kind of timing there because... I think there's now maybe an acceptance that this is going to have to be a longer-term project, um, that it's not going to be something that's going to happen as immediately as Hamza Yousaf suggested when he first came in as First Minister. I think that's kind of what Pete's suggesting there, is that it might be a bit, a bit longer. Um, and I think there's probably a realisation as well that going into an election and saying, if we win seats, we're going to have this sort of madcap push for independence... It's going to be quite off-putting for some voters as well who might be pro-SNP but maybe nervous about independence or nervous about the structure of that and how it's going to go and don't want to see a sort of repeat of Brexit and and the sort of chaos you saw around that whole process. Um, So yeah, I think that credibility factor is is really, really important in what he's describing. There there was also... um, some strong language about the people who really want independence yesterday. Um, and his his slightly more online arguments with supporters of Alpa, the people who are signed up to Alex Salmon's party, um, he had strong words for them, didn't he, Justin? I mean, the the idea that he's looking to to make common cause in the run up to an election with people like Alex Salmon and Alpa, it's for the birds, right? Yeah, I mean, Pete's always been quite heavily critical of the Alba party. I suppose within the SNP, a, a lot of MPs and MSPs are. You know, but some have maybe stayed out of that debate. Some have just kind of not really said much about it. Pete has always been pr- pretty critical of the Alba party as a rule. And I, I think kind of along those lines, it is quite interesting that he ruled out any sort of, you know, alliance with them in the run-up to an election. And 
he probably makes a fair point that the Alaba party doesn't really have any votes. It's not got a big section of the sort of, you know, Scottish electorate voting for it. So there's not really any benefit to the SNP in bringing Alba on board. They're not a popular party. They don't have a massive voter base. But I did think it was interesting that, you know, in that view of a sort of de facto referendum, he would still want to count those Alba votes. So there's this almost tacit admission that, you know, these sides, two different parties don't like each other. They don't want to work alongside each other, really. I mean, Alba say they would work alongside the SNP, and yet they constantly criticise the SNP at the same time. But I suppose deep down there's this tacit recognition that they're all still in favour of independence, and when the votes are tallied, they would want it all to go into the sort of independence side. The problem beyond that is that it's all sort of academic, because I don't see that independence side hitting 50% next time. And even if they did, you know, it's UK government aren't going to grant independence or a, a referendum from that. Uh, Adele, you, you were talking about Fergus Ewing earlier, because um, of course, Alex Salmon, the former SNP leader, the former First Minister, he's not the only person who's had uh, uh, problems with his, his old friends in the SNP. I mean, that was a cataclysmic split with Alex Salmond when Nicola Sturgeon was First Minister. But there are the other arguments going on in the background in the party. There's a bit of a, almost a battle for the soul of the SNP at the moment. Fergus Ewing isn't going to turn up. He's, he wants to meet farmers in his constituency, I believe he said, instead, which is, I think, a polite way of saying he's washing his hair. Um, is there other things to look out for um, when we get to Aberdeen? Who's, who's having the quiet chats in the background about the future of this party? Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a sort of group within the party at Hollywood who are questioning the direction that the party is going in. I think it's obviously interesting it's happening in Aberdeen because a lot of the criticism is that the party is, is no longer sort of, although Aberdeen itself isn't a rural area, sorry, but you know, you've got Aberdeenshire and, and further north, um, mm. that they're failing to understand that sort of demographic um, a lot of the kind of controversial policies that Fergus has kind of stood up for have been ones that have a direct impact on those sort of communities. So I think we see, you know, people like Kate Forbes standing beside Fergus when he came out um, having been suspended, having been told that he would be suspended from the party for a week. She was right by his side. I, I don't know if she's intending to be there. I presume she might be. I'll need to maybe check. But, you know, it's people like that that are, I think, questioning what direction the party's going on and perhaps think that there needs to be speedy. I think Fergus said to me that he thinks there's a tight window, a relatively tight window between now and Christmas to turn, for Hamza Youssef to turn things around. Um, so yeah, I think there will be there will be those sort of whispers going on in the background, uh, and it certainly doesn't seem like they're a united united party at the moment. Mm-hmm. Moving slightly away from the SNP's um, own focus this weekend, Pete Wishart mentioned as well the impact of the Rutherglen and Hamilton West by election, which saw Labour really win very convincingly in a seat which had been won by the SNP. It was a bad night for the SNP. It was a, an atrocious night for the Conservatives. It really was Labour's night. Uh, Alistair, you, we, we can't just focus on the SNP because we are just coming out the other end of the Labour Party conference just in our rearview mirror in Liverpool um, where Anna Sarwar was able to go down there with a bit of a spring in his step. Is there anything that the SNP should be watching carefully there about any lessons that they should learn or 
or or tactics that they think, well, we, we blew it there, we need to up our game? I think um, if we just go back, actually, in terms of lessons to learn, I think I remember being at a Scottish Labour conference 2018-2019 where key figures didn't turn up mm. um, because they, they didn't think there was much point. And I think it's interesting now that, you know, an SNP, MSP would never have missed an SNP conference in 2016-2017. It just wouldn't have happened unless they had really good reason not to be there. Obviously now, you know, Labour Party conference was the place to be for Labour um, people. It was, you know, they, they feel like they have momentum behind them um, again after, you know, almost a decade of being um, really badly, uh, performing really badly in every election they stood in. Um, I think the other thing that, that Labour have been talking about and, and sort of thinking about is this, this idea of, um, you know, that, that Scotland's crucial to them winning the next election. And I think how then this message balances will be quite interesting. I think one of the things the SNP will be looking at quite closely, actually, is how um, Keir Starmer positions himself um, in England um, to, to sort of convince voters there to, to come back to Labour after going Conservative. But then how he balances that message in Scotland to say to SNP voters who who, you know, maybe have different priorities from people in England who voted for Conservative, how Keir Starmer balances that mm -hmm. um, with convincing SNP voters will be quite interesting. It'll be something the SNP watch quite closely. Um, and obviously we, we got some insight into that around Labour conference, around the two-child benefit cap and things like that. Um, so I think, I think those will be things that the SNP are looking at. And obviously, you know, maybe looking back towards some of the, the things that happened um, over the last decade with, with Scottish Labour and to try not to repeat those mistakes. Mm -hmm. Derek, you, you um, watched a little bit of Labour as well. It was uh, interesting yesterday in particular, the Sir Keir Starmer making his um, big big pitch to the stage and of course got off to a bit of a, a shocking start really with uh, a protester who managed to get that close and sprinkle a bit of glitter on him. And it seems to be that that's actually figuratively and metaphorically what happened. The way he came away looking pretty sparkly from the whole thing. I, th I think he handled the situation pretty well, and I think that's probably what's been talked about the most. I mean, if you think about the context of what's going on internationally at the moment, um, and then to have someone rush the stage, it's probably a pretty scary moment. And I think he had a bit of a chuckle about it, had a joke. Um, I mean, he looked fairly terrified in, in the first moment, which, again, is I think is totally understandable. Um, and then kind of brushed it off and got back to it. So... It's incredibly hard, I think, to handle these sort of situations. We saw Hamza Yousaf kind of um, have a similar kind of situation in Dundee with a kind of heckler. And um, we obviously have talked in this podcast about how he handled that. And, and some people thought he did well, some people thought he did less well. Um, yeah, it's always a tricky situation. And it's been one of the things I've actually think seen most from the Labour conference. It's a thing that seems to have cut through with um, people who aren't like political observers um, they seem to have seen that moment. So it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see what people make of it. I think one of the interesting things about that actually, Derek, was when you compare that to the Conservative conference and the, the things that cut through, the videos that went viral, um, whether it was Sela Braverman standing on a dog, um, Liz Truss um, tearing the Conservative government apart, I think Labour probably won't mind that Keir Starmer getting covered in glitter and having a chuckle about it went viral. You know, I think when you compare the two, I know which one I would rather uh, be a part of. 
I mean, it's not normal for somebody to, to step on a dog at a party conference. That's quite, quite a moment as well, wasn't it? It's worth highlighting. Well, it definitely does appear that Labour are the ones um, smiling uh, at the moment. It's up to the SNP to see if they can reset their political dial and get a bit of fortune going their way, their way again after the disappointment of Rutherglen. We'll be back next week, Monday, with a special conference episode of The Stushi from Aberdeen, perhaps even joined by Courier editor David Clegg, a friend of The Stushi to his eternal credit. And until then, thanks to our guest Pete Wishart, Adele Merson, Derek Healy, Justin Bowie, Alistair Clark, producer Morvan McIntyre, and of course to you for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, pick up a paper or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, Sunday Post and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed.